Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My guest today is Russ Tamblin. In a long and varied career, he's been a child actor, an acrobat, an MGM Studios star who ditched the whole scene to become a painter. After that, he was a successful choreographer and then one of the stars of Twin Peaks. But you probably know him as Riff, hard-bitten, vulnerable, and leader of the Jets. When you're a jet, you're a jet All the way from your first cigarette To your last dying day West Side Story's riff in 1961 was the culmination of a long string of classic teen roles. He was Elizabeth Taylor's little brother and father of the bride and the younger version of King Saul in Cecil B. DeMille's Samson and Delilah. His breakthrough role for MGM was the youngest of the namesake brothers in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, directed by the legendary Stanley Donnan fresh off Singing in the Rain. And you can't recount Russ Tamblin's career without mentioning the long string of young toughs before Riff, the young gunslingers, the future criminals, and the good-for-nothing Tony Baker, who's really an undercover cop in the now-classic anti-marijuana B-movie High School Confidential. Hey, you torching up? Now look, don't be a dry kitten. We don't want to get caught with a reefer again. I had enough of the pokey and all of that jazz. I'll get my kicks out of you. These days, however, he keeps it classy. You got your martini? I got it. This is like so old Hollywood. I say, come, <laughs> I say, come do my podcast. And I get here and they're like, he's in there. He's having a martini. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, that'll help me to yakety yak a little. Tamblin spent his earliest years in the middle-class Inglewood neighborhood of Los Angeles, son of a chorus girl and what he calls a Broadway song-and-dance man who came west to seek fame and fortune. The family arrived just in time for the Depression. Eddie Tamblin made a few movies, though, a good thing for his son's future and for American cinema. That's where I really got turned on. I think when I was living in Inglewood, one of his old movies was playing at a theater there. So I went to see him and I saw him up on the screen and he was just like huge. You know, yeah. I thought, oh, my God, I want to be right. there. And and my father said, no, no, um, 
My father did not want me to be in show business, so... What did he want you to do? Oh, well, he didn't care. <laughs> he was not doing that well at that point. It was in the, the 30s. The, he the didn't Prussian want you to end up like him. He had a hot dog stand. He sold hot dogs. We had dinner. We used to go and eat hot dogs at his hot dog stand. No. And uh, Why didn't you stay away? Me- meaning, when he said, I don't want you to do this, why did you persist? Um... There was a, a theater in Inglewood. I was about 10 years old, and I used to go to the Saturday morning matinees with all the other little kids, and it was filled with kids yelling and screaming. Because of seeing my father, I would get so excited, I'd run up on the stage, and, and I would just, like, jump around and go into a... <laughs> and, and I wasn't really dancing, but I would jump around and make all the kids laugh, and they were roaring, and I'd see the, the owner of the theater come running down the aisle, and I'd leap off the theater, and I was very very fast so I could crawl into the seats and disappear and he couldn't find me and I came again it was maybe like the second or third time uh, Saturday morning he was waiting for me backstage and I got up on the stage and he came out and he grabbed me by the arm took me back in his office and called my mother and my mother knew that uh, that my father did not want me to be in show business so she secretly started me in tap dancing lessons. At a, How old were you? I was about nine. You were a little kid. Nine or ten. What was it about your mom? Was your mom in the biz? Oh, yeah. She was a showgirl. That's where my mother and father— On Broadway, they uh, That's met? where they met at the road show, right. one of the shows. And she was in the line, and she, um, she was only like 16 or 17. She lied to—because she wanted to be in the show— I think my mother had my older brother when she was 17 and had me when she was uh, 18. <laughs> How many kids in your family? Two brothers, a, an older brother who passed away and a younger brother who has a group called the Standells, and, uh, a rock and roll group. And he's still around and still doing um, concerts. <laughs> and uh, he's deaf now, but he goes out yeah, right, and right. does them anyway. He fakes it. And he yells all over. But when you come... And you start making films. Your first film is The Boy with the Green Hair. Isn't that Dean Stockwell? Yeah, that was Dean. We became friends, and I think that's when I was like nine or nine or ten. How do they find you then to be in a film? Oh, I did a play at the Cornet Theater. The first thing I did was a play directed by Lloyd Bridges called The Stone Jungle, and I had a great part in it, and I ended up getting killed in it, and and it was... Uh, they killed a nine-year-old boy in this play? Oh, yeah. It was about a bunch play. of kids that go to a rock quarry, and uh, there were good actors in it. A talent scout came, and then he brought me over to audition for a couple of parts in The Boy with Green Hair. Joseph Losey, I think, directed it and uh, introduced me to him. And uh, I, I tried out for a couple of parts and didn't get anything. And finally, they just said, would you like to be one of the kids in it? So I said, yeah. And so I became one of the background kids in it. And that was uh, my first movie. You know, we always think of young people working in films. And we have all kinds of protections now. And we have all kinds of laws and rules with the union to protect young people and tutors and how many hours they can work. But when you were a kid, what was that like? How did they treat you? Were they affectionate and Well, it was warm? okay, except for for Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, working for DeMille was... Uh, Samson and Delilah. Yeah. How old were you then? About 10. I think I was 10 years old. I played... 
King Saul as a boy. You did four movies in this. You do Boy with the Green Hair, Reign of Terror, Kid from Cleveland. Your fourth movie is Samson and Delilah. I mean, I'm a sap for those epic movies. And it's DeMille, obviously. So you see the other directors, they might have been a little more coddling and a little warmer to you. What was DeMille like? DeMille was like like you would expect. He wore uh, short uh, pants, I guess, with high socks. He had a stick. <sighs> the voice of God in uh, Samson and Delilah um, was DeMille. Yes. So that, right. was, uh, that was what yeah. DeMille was like. He was like a general. Yeah, and when I went in for the audition, I auditioned with a Paramount actor, and it was this room. Um, I remember it was a room, and there was like a big window, a one-way mirror. And when I finished the scene, the doors came bursting open, and out came DeMille with his entourage. And he said, you got the part, my boy. And uh, that was... Uh, that was a big one for me. Did you get to spend any time with Victor Mature? Did you get to meet the adult yes. cast much? He, he, what was he like? He was funnier than hell. Was he really? Oh, my God. I heard he was, was wild. People have told me some pretty— He was wild. I wouldn't even repeat the stories I've been told about him. I've heard some pretty oh, wild stories He came in him. with a black eye one time, and uh, you know, and they had to put makeup on his eye. And I asked him, I said, <laughs> Jesus, Vic, how the hell did you get that? He says, I went home last night, and my wife punched me in the <laughs> eye. And I said, what's that for? And he said, that's for what you're going to do. <laughs> that's pretty. He, he was very mischievous. He moved signs so that people would drive the wrong way. <laughs> you know, he was crazy. Oh, yeah, and then one of the things was, uh, was Hedy Lamar, and I thought she was gorgeous in oh, it, God. playing Delilah. Oh, and uh, I remember sitting in a dressing room one time, and uh, Mature, I, I never forget this, his dog was with him. The dog came into the dressing room, and he went over and started to lick Hedy Lamar's legs. And he says, get away from there. If I can't do that, you can't do it. <laughs> Hedy Lamar, oh my God. She took me to lunch one time at the, on the lot. She would like to go to lunch. I said, yeah, you know, so I went to lunch with Hetty, and she said, oh, let's stop by this stage. I want you to see something you'll, you'll like. So we go into the stage, and it was Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis's first movie, My Friend Irma. And everybody was just in hysterics. Jerry was smoking a cigarette, and he got a bunch of ashes on the end of the cigarette. And at one moment, he reached down and unzipped Dean's pants and, <laughs> and flashed it in there. Everybody was just cracking up. He was like that constantly. I'm going to steal that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, is that a good one? Now, you know, you know, these movies, Boy with the Green Hair, Samson and Delilah, these are straight dramas. But then you get to do Seven Brides. And had you done much, uh, you know, your mother wanted you to learn how to tap dance. Had you done much hoofing and you were much into the musical world on stage? Well, let me explain to you how I got it. T tell me. Okay. I did a movie at Warner Brothers called Retreat Hell. Joseph H. Lewis directed it. And I played a young Marine in it, and I had worked for him before in a, one of his classic film noir movies. Um, uh, it was a classic. Gun crazy. Gun crazy. I'm thinking we're on a game show here. Yeah. <laughs> and it, was, um, it had one of the classic bank robbery scenes in it. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was— I'm going to see it now. It was the best. The King Brothers came and said, hey, I'm sorry, Joe. you got to shoot this in like a couple hours. We don't have the time. We yeah. don't have the money. We're broke. So he didn't know what to do. So he just stuck a camera in the back seat of the car and shot over the back of their heads. And they actually drove to the bank all in one take. Yeah. 
and he parked the car. They kept the camera in there and showed him going in. And then finally he came out, and there was like a policeman there. And they and kept rolling. Jumped in the car, <laughs> and they drove. It was all one shot. Wow. And they said that was one of the best bank robbery scenes ever in a <laughs> right? movie. It was brilliant. And it was by accident. That's you amazing. Know? So he took the film that I did, Retreat Hell, which was a a Korean war film, and he showed it to MGM. And I guess MGM was looking for actors to sign at the time, so they signed me under contract. And the first movie I did there was Take the High Ground. I played a comedy character in it, and it was a basic training movie where Richard Woodmark teaches us all how to, and Carl Mullen teaches how to become good soldiers, which was great. And... Uh, Seven Brides came up. It was like the next film there. And Michael Kidd told the studio that he wanted all the six brothers to be great dancers. And the studio said, wait a minute. We have actors under contract here. So I'll tell you what. You can have four great dancers and two actors that are under contract. And I was one of the actors that was under contract. And the other actor was Jeff Richards, who was a baseball player before he became an actor, who hated dancers. He's one of the brothers. I said, let's go visit our brothers where they're rehearsing. And he says, oh, Jesus, do I have to go over there and talk to all those fags? Oh, God. Yeah, that's how he felt. That's how they talked. Yeah. So we go over there, and Michael Kidd came up to me, and he said, somebody told me you're a tumbler, that you're an acrobat. I did a backflip for him right on the spot. He says, oh, my God, we'll use it in the number. And I said, no, wait a minute. I'm not dancing with Jacques Demblas from New York City Ballet and Matt Maddox and Mark Platt. Yeah. And I'd never had any dance training except for the tap dancing. Right. I said, I can't dance. He says, look, this is just square dancing. All you've got to do is lift your legs. So we do this number called Going Courtin'. Janie Powell trying to make gentlemen out of us. You mean metal learning how to dance? Uh-huh. Yes, it came direct from Paris. teaching everybody how to dance and uh, to get a really professional dancer to look awkward is hard to do because they automatically stand up in the fifth position. So Michael Kidd had the choice of either putting me way in back of these great dancers. I ended up in front of all the dancers looking awkward, just going crazy, jumping around and then flipping up and falling down on the floor saying, keep your dancing, you know, and that was the end of the number. That number was just made for me because uh, I was learning how to dance. Going Courtin'. Going Courtin' was uh, the number. And then, of course, the other big number was the barn dance number. Right. We were dancing on planks and stuff like that. That was up my alley because I could do flips. I always get the impression that those films, it was a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> it was all one take. There were no cuts in it. How was Donna? I'm a big admirer of his films. You are. I thought he was overrated. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we had to shoot a bunch of stuff over again that he did in that. They put snow on everybody's faces, and it just looked like they forgot to put makeup on in certain places. Right. I know he's done some good films, but it was really Michael Films. Other people you think made him look good. Yeah. Other people made him again. And Gene Kelly, you know. He was a friend of Gene Kelly's. When we had finished the barn dance number, and it was pretty well choreographed and everything, we came back from lunch, and Stanley came on the stage with Gene Kelly and says, I want you all to run through the whole number from top to bottom for Gene. So we, we did. Uh, and he was wonderful. He just said, hey, guys, all I can tell you is there's nothing else for you to do but cut yourself and bleed. You know, <laughs> and, uh, but 
let me just say this. Beyond the music, beyond Bernstein, who I worship, when I think of West Side Story, I think of a young Natalie Wood. And the other thing I remember is that you're not the male lead in the show. And yet, and I'm not asking you to answer this, you pop off that screen, man, like $10 million stacked end to end. Thank you. Dear kindly Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand, it's just our bringing up that gets us out of hand. Our mothers all are junkies, our fathers all are drunks. Golly Moses, naturally we're punks. Gee, Officer Krupke. You got all the swagger. You become one of the stars of the film. Was that Robert Wise's intention, or did that just happen in the cut of the film? It, um, it was weird. I was in the Army when, um, uh, and on tour for Tom Thumb when I went to New York, and I saw West Side Story, and I said, oh, my God, I want to do this. I bought the album, took it back to... Uh, to Oklahoma, where I was at Fort Sill. How long are you in the Army for? Two years. You didn't have to go overseas? No, Oklahoma the, the whole time. You were and in I, Oklahoma the whole time? And I fucked up Doing like, what? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, shooting blanks at a sign that said, I am the enemy, you know? I mean, at the, the last 30 days, I took leave and did uh, Cimarron in Arizona with Glenn Ford. And then I had to go back to the Army, finish it up, and I drove back, and <laughs> what happened was is I went over to United Artists where they were shooting, and I auditioned as Tony. And I even auditioned with, with Mickey Callan, who played Riff on Broadway. He played my part on Broadway. I auditioned with several girls, Anna Marie Albaghetti, uh, <laughs> with several actresses that were, that were up for the part of Maria. And, and, and I had the same uh, agent. As, uh, as Robert Wise. So I had a really close connection, you know, yeah. and I kept checking, well, how's it going? And they picked Tony. He said, not yet. Bob isn't sure what he, he's not sure yet. But finally he called me and he said, well, I'm sorry, but uh, they picked Richard Boehmer uh, to play the part of Tony. But You said Richard who? Yeah, I had no idea who he was. And they said, but they've offered you the role They've offered you the role of Riff. And I said, Riff? I said, no, 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 no. He said, you don't want to do it? And I said, yes, I do want to do it. <laughs> you know, it was exactly. like really, really quick. I said, I really want to be in this film. But I said, I don't think I can handle it. The, the, the dancing is like incredibly uh, difficult for Riff. But am I glad I didn't do it? I mean, it's not a good part, Tony. But when they offered me the part of Riff, they wanted to see me, both Bob and Jerry Robbins. So I go to the studio and I go in to see them, and they're both sitting there. And the first thing that Jerry says to me, he says, Now, Russ, he says, I've seen your musicals, Seven Brides, and The Fastest Gun Alive, where you dance on shovels. And he says, on all your films, even comedies, you do tumbling. But I have to tell you right now, there'll be no tumbling in this movie. There'll be none. And he said, you're going to have to do straight dancing. Yeah. That's the way the part is for Riff. And I said, all right, I'll do ah, my best. Shit. That's what he told me. And I was so Jerome Robbins was fired because he was taking too long. We were doing shots in New York, going like dancing down two blocks, you know. <laughs> and, and then we'd the come length back. of the West Side Highway. Then he then we would come back and get this, and he would say, That was fine. And Robert Weiss would say, he would say, That was terrific. That was great. Print it. We're all done. And Jerry said, No, no, no. I'd like to do one more, but I would like all the dancers to do it on the other foot. So Jerry so Robbins was the choreographer, not the director. 
Robbins, well, they co-directed. Sure. Right. But uh, the, but they had an agreement that uh, Bob Wise would would do the dramatic scenes and and uh, Robbins Jerome Robbins would do, would do all the musical right, numbers. Right. So do it on the other foot. Now you may not know what that means. That means instead of stepping on the left and kicking to the right, you got to step on the right, kick to the left. You got to do a tergite the other way, and so every all these dancers are walking around crazy. So we were there in New York for. Oh, my God, we were there for a month late. And by the time we got back to L.A., they closed the production down. And they said, that's it. He had it in his option that if it didn't work out for a certain amount of time, that he could be uh, let go. He was just gone. By the time we came back to work, he was gone. And all the dancers were, like, uh, depressed. They They'd been him. complaining the whole time. Right. Complaining about how awful they'd rather, have, they'd rather have Jerry Robbins there and complain yeah. than not have him there. Yeah. It's not like calling them names or anything. There was there's a book written. His biography is Dancing with the Devil, you know. Yeah. So I mean, he just was a prick. So it wasn't until after he was fired that uh, one of his assistants, Tony Mordente, married to Tony Rivera. Mordente. Yeah, exactly. You know, Tony, and Tony took over. So Tony said, "Let's put some tumbling back in the in the in the film. Let's put some Mordente." In. So right. that's when I in the dance hall number where I did the round off back with a full twist, kept dancing and and everything. And so later on, Jerry Robbins had a show called Jerome Robbins Broadway, and the kid that was playing Riff did a flip on the stage. And I saw that, and I almost had a heart attack. I turned to Bonnie. I said, did you see that? So I couldn't wait to get backstage, you know, and I met him, and he was so happy to meet me. And I said, now i got to ask you, how were you able to do a flip on the stage? He says, that was part of the audition. So I... Give myself a sure. pat on the back for right. that. Were you ever seriously injured doing the work you've done? Only once in uh, Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm, uh, which was in Cinerama, so it was hard to do. And I had to roll down a hill and jump over the camera. And I think I hit the top of the camera and cut my knee. You're like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. Yeah. Did you know when you were doing the movie what the movie was going to be? Did you know? I knew I was doing a classic movie, but uh, I, I didn't know that it was going to end up History. As, as history and as big as it was, it's an epic film. Yeah. And there's a lot of big stars so like Glenn Ford. There's like tons of them that are big stars that have never really had an epic film, yeah. you know, that they could hang their shirt yeah, on. A big movie. I mean, you take George Shakiris, you know, think what else has he done? Yeah. West Side Story is his premiere. That's his thing. calling card. And because of that, we got to go to Grumman's Chinese and get our hands and feet As in, it in be. cement, you yeah. know, which was pretty, pretty much of a trip. Yeah. Actor, dancer, West Side Story star, Russ Tamblin. Another Here's the Thing guest who came up through the old Hollywood studio system is Robert Osborne, who before he was the host of Turner Classic Movies was a member of Lucille Ball's stable of actors at Desilu Studios in the 1950s. It didn't pay us much money at all, but it was like a master class for me because Lucy took us under her wing. Now, Desi at this point was womanizing. He wasn't around much. So she would show us I Love Lucy shows she'd done, bad ones, and show us why they didn't work. Right. Then show us a good one and why it did work. She and wanted I, to share with someone. Yes. The rest of my interview with Robert Osborne is in our archives at heresthething.org. Tamblin talks life after Riff, coming up.
Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Here's the Thing, and we're back with my guest, Russ Tamblin. West Side Story director Robert Wise made a surprising choice to follow up his musical mega-hit. It was a genre film co-starring Julie Harris and Claire Bloom, a supernatural horror project called The Haunting. Tamblin decided to join the cast, but it took some convincing. I don't even think I wanted to do it at the beginning because I was the one person in The Haunting that, that wasn't one of the strange people that had some sort of psychological... Damage. Damage, you yeah. know. I was just a, a guy that was going to inherit the house. Turned it down at first, to tell you the truth. But then MGM said, you know, Bob really wants you, and unfortunately, we're going to have to put you on, what is it, where, they, where you don't get paid for a bunch of months, you know? And so I said, well, deferred you know, salary. maybe I'll read the script again. So I decided to do it. And I, I was in the south of France then doing some other movie when he offered it to me. So I flew back to England, and, uh, and that's where we did The Haunting. And we did it just in this amazing place, which was in Stratford-upon-Avon. And they found this house that had been, it was actually like a big manor that had been haunted for, you know, hundreds of years. And it was all run down and there were weeds growing everywhere. And uh, it was an incredible uh, place. So it was... uh, it was quite amazing. So what was the set of that like? On The Haunting? Yeah. 
It was incredible. I, I mean, a lot of it was shot at Elstree. The uh, the interior of the house was shot at Elstree, where they could really, really work it out better. When we mainly used the outside of the hotel uh, for um, for shooting the openings and everything, but I had this experience one night. And we were staying there the night. We only stayed there one night. And my bedroom was right above where they were shooting, where the entrance was. So there were arc lights, and they were shooting out front. And I wasn't working then. And and I, these lights kept coming on, and I could hear the noise. And I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to go just take a walk in the back and see. There was supposed to have been a ghost in the back. And... Uh, there was like a path that went up, and there was a little graveyard up there. And there was like a eight-year-old that was murdered. And, and so I decided I'd walk up there. And they say, well, that's where, you, where the ghost is, you know. So, and I would, said, I'd love to see a ghost. I thought that would be really, really cool. So I go out the back, and it was pitch dark. I couldn't see a thing. So I had to walk backwards because the arc lights from the other side of the building were lighting up the the stone path so I could walk backwards and see where I was where I was going. I got up to a certain point and all of a sudden I felt like somebody put a brick of ice on the back of my neck. I swear to God. Mm. I never told anybody this. <laughs> never told any of the cast. I'm or, getting the exclusive. And I said, you know what? If I turn around right now, I'm going to see a ghost. I mean, I, I felt that really wow. strongly because of that. It was like freezing right in the back of my neck. So instead I just Hightailed it back. Right. I went to bed and I thought, and you could really run back. Then. I can't. Yeah, <laughs> I can't tell anybody about this uh, ever, and I didn't. Didn't tell anyone. I was in my house on Long Island. Someone told me that my house had a ghost. And one night, I'm laying in bed and I hear these voices in my house. I swear to God, I heard people talking. I heard a woman like raising her voice, and I. I listen to it, and I listen to it. It's 2 in the morning. It's 3 in the morning. And I'm an insomniac. I have bad insomnia. And I jumped out of my bed. I swear to God. I jumped out of my bed, and I started screaming. I started screaming at the top of my lungs. Come on! You want to fuck with me? Come on! Show yourself. Don't you fucking hide from me. Come on out and show me your face. I go nuts in my bedroom of my house on Long Island. This is about 20 years ago. Anyway, very soon in the timeline of the business... Uh, Paint Your Wagon is a flop. Finian's Rainbow is a flop. And in that scene, Easy Rider comes up, and it's the death of the musical as we know it in, from Hollywood. How did you feel during that period where you get to the late 60s and everything becomes the countercultural thing and Nicholson and Five Easy Pieces and all, everything becomes a little more... Well, I dropped out. I actually uh, dropped out of show business, uh, moved to Topanga and uh, and got into... Fine art as opposed to uh, the— How long did you do that? Oh, boy. I was out for uh, years, for several years. I did nothing. Uh, the, the last movie I did, I think, was The Long Ships, a movie with Sidney Poitier and, and Widmark. And, and um, then I dropped out, and I went, I went up to Topanga and got into— I met an artist, Wallace Berman. I got involved with, uh, like, Allen Ginsberg and uh, Michael McClure, the poet. Uh, and I got involved with a lot of those people, and I got turned on to fine art as opposed to the performing art. You've got quite a few credits after that. Yeah, yeah, but they're B-movies. Right. I did them just for some money so I could got support it. myself. Got it. Got but it. I didn't give a 
fuck what I did. I, yeah. I just did them. You know, I did I've them. been there. Yeah. And made up my own lines. Want to work. And a yeah. lot of them. And, uh, <laughs> they I, were happy to have you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they were thrilled to have me. But I did well in the fine art. I, I did had shows, and I did— Are you still doing that? Soul art. Well, when I get a chance, I've been writing my book for the last 20 years, by the way. It's called Dance on the Edge. When's it coming out? Early next year. We finished it, and Bonnie is is putting in all the photos. Now, we got tons of photos that we're putting in. Oh, I hope so. tell you one of the stories yeah. about West Side Story when— uh, um, we finished, and, and I was friends with uh, Natalie and, uh, and RJ, and uh, they came out to the beach house one time uh, to have dinner. We had dinner, and we were, we were drinking, and, uh, and, and Tony Bardente was, came, came too. He was a friend of Natalie's. And so we're all sitting around. We're having a few drinks, and I got this crazy idea. It was just because I'd done it one time at Anthony Quinn's house up in Oxnard. He had a big ranch, and I went there, and, and we were out— in the back, and he was barbecuing, and, and he said, let's play. You ask somebody a question, and you have to tell the truth. So I said, let's play that. So we started doing it with Natalie and, and RJ. We went around the room, and then I thought, well, I'm going to liven up. So I thought for sure that I knew the answer to this. So I said to Natalie, I said, Natalie, I said, Nat, if you had your choice of getting an Academy Award for West Side Story, getting an Academy Award but but in order to get the Academy Award, you would have to divorce R.J., you know, or would you rather stay keep with your, R.J. Keep your marriage with R.J., you know, and and, and so <laughs> she, she thought about it for a second. She said, "I'll take the Academy <laughs> Award." <laughs> That's a true story. A lot of women they rather go to bed with I that was, shiny bald old I was, man. I was so surprised. I mean, I thought, sure. Did R.J. nod knowingly? Did, no, did he? He pounded the table. He practically broke a bottle again. He Bang the ba- and I was living at the beach at a beach house, and he ran down to the beach, and Tony went to help him, and I was sitting there with Natalie. I said, "Nat, why did you say that?" And you she just said, lie. She said, "Well, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, it may be my only chance to get an Academy Award. I could always marry <laughs> R.J. again." But they came back up, and uh, I thought about that story when. You know, with that big deal that they had on the yacht where she drowned and they had a big fight and all of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know what Well, he hell. was very much in love with her. Yeah, you could tell he was a little— Oh, yeah. He was he, he was really possessed by yeah, her. Yeah, but my he— fa- I would go to dinner with people in New York, and I'd always play a game. And I'd say—and and my friends back then—this is like 10, 15 years ago. They were all 10 years older than me. So I'm 50, they're 60, they're 70. And I'd have like—I I went with a friend of mine and, a, and his wife— and two couples that were friends of his. So I'm at a table. There's eight of us there. I'm the youngest one there. Everybody's in their 70s. And I turned to this woman who was a very Anne Bancroft, kind of salty, oh. savvy New York dame. Uh, and I said to her, I said— uh, uh, I love Danny. And the game I played was, do you want to know your husband or your wife, your partner you're married to, in the next life? When you die, will you see them again? And the first person I turned to was this woman who was like this Anne Bancroft type. I said, you, uh, Julia, you and Irving here. I said, do you? And before I even opened my mouth, she goes, oh, God, no. My God. <laughs> Forty years with him is enough. <laughs> you think I'm going to see him on the other side for eternity? Oh, Christ. And I thought, what an honest thing to say in front of your husband that when you're dead. You know, I always obsess about that. Like, will I know my wife and my kids on the other side? Will I see my dad? Blah, blah, blah. Real quickly, um, how do you get dialed into David Lynch and Twin Peaks? How did you get pulled into that? Uh, I was living with Dean Stockwell, and Dean and I were living up on Laurel Canyon. I just divorced uh, 
my second wife, and uh, moved in with Dean, and the two of us were living there. And then I went to do a play, and Dean and Dennis Hopper did Blue Velvet. And so Dennis said he was going to have a birthday party for David Lynch, and, and so I went with Dean to uh, Dennis's place, and, uh, and Lynch was getting cards and gifts and stuff. And he opened up this one card, and it was a guy standing in the center with these naked women around him, you know, with all these naked women. And he sort of laughed, and everybody laughed, and it was like a funny thing, you know. And I was standing next to him, and he said, wouldn't you love to be this guy? Is it funny like that? And it was an opportunity, and I said to him, I said, what I would really love, to, David, is to work with you sometime. And he looked at me, and he said, the next project I do, the next project. And it was, it was like a year later that I got a call from my agency. And he remembered. David Lynch wants to see you. And so I went in, he remembered. And I, I went in to see him and uh, he said the part that I, and I'll never forget what he said was, and I went home and told Bonnie later, what he said to me, not the part I want you to, I'm thinking of you for, the part I want you to do in this film is this eccentric character called Dr. Jacoby. I want you to do that in the film. So, I went home and I kept thinking about it all the way home and what he said. Didn't say, I want you to audition or try out or I'm thinking of you, the part I want you to do. And I went home and I told Bonnie, I said, that's what he said. So uh, my agent called and said, yeah, he wants you to do it. He said, don't have a part yet written for Dr. Jacoby, but uh, they wrote a scene in for the pilot. And I decided to do something nuts. Dean told me. Dean had worked with him. He said, David loves something that's out there, you know. Yeah. So uh, I decided to uh, I put earplugs in my ears. I figured he's a psychiatrist. So when I get off the, le the elevator in the one scene and Agent Cooper says to me, Agent Cooper, I said, Gary Cooper? <laughs> and that was about the only scene I had. But after the pilot, Lynch loved it. And so they picked it up. And I'm going to shoot it a year later. And that's when I went to Venice, and I wanted to find some crazy glasses. So I narrowed it down to a blue pair and a red pair. And then finally I stopped. I was looking in the mirror, and I said, oh, my God, that's it. So I had a pair of glasses made with one red lens and one blue lens, and that was my Jacoby. That's the I signature. Went in, showed them to Lynch. I said, the blue lens affects the creative side of the eye. And the logical side this of the eye. was a, a red, red lens. lens to give it some life. So I explained all this to him, and he says, I love it, but let's not tell anybody why you're wearing those glasses. Let's keep it a secret. Yes. He loves secrets. Let me just say this. Here's my last quick question. Uh, you do, everybody knows, because uh, uh, you, uh, you now have a multi-generational show business family, uh, uh, that you're Amber Tamblin's dad. Did you ever give her any advice about the biz? Did she ever want any advice from you about the biz? Uh, she did a she did a soap opera, um, General Hospital that she was on. I wasn't working, so I used to take her. <clears throat> My mother was taking her for a while, passed away. Then I took her, and I used to stand next to the camera. And when she would finish a scene, you know, in soap opera, the director's not there. The director's in, in a, a booth. booth. Yeah. And I used to stand next to the camera and when she would finish a scene, the one piece of advice that I, I gave her is whatever you do, don't get caught acting. Yeah. That's the main thing. Don't get caught acting. That should be the name of your book. Don't get caught acting. <laughs> Russ Tamblin, thank you from the bottom thank of my Thank you. Heart. It's such an honor to be interviewed by my you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Russ Tamblin on a rich, exciting life in the movies. This is Alec Baldwin. And you're listening to Here's the Thing.
Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.